Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, everybody. Uh, We have a midweek mini podcast for a change. And I mean that. This is a departure. The uh, White House announced uh, earlier this week that uh, President Biden has decided that we will be pulling our remaining troops uh, out of Afghanistan by September 11th, the 20th anniversary of the attack by al-Qaeda on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and uh, what we believe would have been the capital if uh, those brave souls on Uh, United Flight 93 had not taken on the hijackers. That attack was planned from Afghanistan, where the Taliban had been giving safe haven to al-Qaeda and its leader, Osama bin Laden. Peter Bergen produced the first TV interview of bin Laden by Western media back in 1997. I, I interviewed Peter for this podcast last January, about a month before Trump uh, and his administration had reached an agreement with the Taliban to withdraw our troops from uh, Afghanistan by May 1st of this year. Uh, The decision announced uh, earlier this week is an incredibly uh, difficult one. As Bergen said in our wide-ranging interview, there are no good decisions here. I say wide-ranging interview because Uh, Bergen and I spoke about a lot of subjects that day, encompassed by his book, Trump and His Generals, and we're playing just about eight or nine minutes about Afghanistan and uh, bin Laden, and I think you'll find it uh, very interesting. I I know I did. Um, I've been to Afghanistan five times on four USO tours, and uh, once as a U.S. senator in 2010, I traveled with Carl Levin, chairman of the Senate Armed Service Committee at that time. And I have to say my experience was that I learned a lot more about both wars, Iraq and Afghanistan, on my USO tours. Senator Levin and I stayed at the embassy in Kabul. Uh, We had dinner with the ambassador and members of the uh, Afghan government. Uh, with cabinet members. We met with President Karzai. We spent quite a bit of time with General McChrystal. We went to a forward operating base where we were briefed by um, this British officer who's straight out of Monty Python uh, with a, a pointer and a blackboard. And we have a company here, 128 strong. And over here, Two platoons, 73 strong. (laughs) Um, Now, this is in 2010, and uh, we had begun a buildup of our troops in Afghanistan, ordered by uh, President Obama. I met with the CIA station chief. I met with 
uh, the general who was in charge of training the Afghan troops. And I got to say, I learned next to nothing. We were told exactly uh, what they were supposed to tell us. Nothing that they told us was going to happen actually happened. And it was basically a dog and pony show. On the other hand, when I was on tour with the USO, we would go every day to two or three or, or four DFACs. DFACs are dining facilities. And every time I got my tray and started heading toward the tables to sit down, I could see guys who wanted to talk, who wanted to tell me what they were experiencing. I met with guys who were gung-ho. I met with guys who were freaked out especially guys who were outside the wire most of the time, uh, guys who hated the war uh, but loved their buddies. I met a one-star general in Iraq who told me on my second trip in 2004, I have to respect the President of the United States, but if I got Rumsfeld in my sights, I would not hesitate to squeeze off around. I learned nothing on the CODEL, my congressional delegation trip, or next to nothing. And I don't know how much we learned in what will be an almost 20-year war. Uh, not long after this interview that I did last year with Peter Bergen, the Trump administration made that deal with the Taliban that we would leave by May 1st, and now we're extending to... September, they announced uh, that we will be out by September 11th. I have no idea why they chose uh, to peg it to the anniversary. That just seems like an odd choice. But as Bergen says, uh, in this kind of thing, there, there are no good choices. Certainly not, not a good choice for women in Afghanistan. But what would staying there ultimately uh, do? Uh, some choices are worse than others, and in this case, let's hope the president has chosen wisely. So when we come back, I'll be talking to uh, Peter Burke. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. This podcast is supported by FedEx. 
FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Let's start with Afghanistan. And there's one thing I do want to ask you about, which is the uh, this this peace uh, supposed agreement. Yeah. Which is basically feels to me like us getting out of Vietnam. One of the themes of the book is the commonalities between Trump and Obama once you get past their rhetorical styles. The caution of not getting involved and, and, and actually starting to withdraw troops, which was a disaster in Iraq, actually. It was. I mean, and, you know, uh, it was a George W. Bush plan that uh, the Obama team um, then implemented, um, and they wanted to get out. Uh, that turned out to be a failure. ISIS was at the gates of Baghdad. You know, three years later, you know, the United States, uh, there are sins of commission and sins of omission. And there are second order effects to doing nothing. There are second order effects to pulling out. There are second order effects to putting people into places. And we elect presidents uh, so he or she will make the right decisions or, or the least bad decisions. Because when it comes to these difficult decisions, you're not making great decisions. You're just making least bad decisions by the time it gets to the president's desk. Yeah, least bad, meaning you've been given this situation by previous bungles, including uh, Cheney going, uh, there is no doubt that Saddam has uh, weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> and that's just a, that was just not true. It wasn't. So in Afghanistan, you know, Obama wanted to draw down to zero. And then after a lot of discussion with his team, at the end of his second term, he left 8,500 troops there. There were some risks going to zero, including the Taliban takes over much of the country and ISIS and Al-Qaeda had this sort of launching pad. Which, which is kind of what I feel like is going to happen three years from now or whatever that time frame is. Yeah. By the way, this is an agreement with the Taliban. It's not ratified by the Senate. Ab and, not or it isn't an agreement with the a Afghan government. Right. So it's kind of, a, in some ways, not a very meaningful piece of paper. And the Taliban, uh, you know, I was in Afghanistan when the Taliban ran the place. Anybody listening to this is familiar with their record with women, with girls, with education, with the economy, with essentially running a totalitarian, theocratic state to the extent that they could. We're just taking on faith that they've suddenly changed their minds about all that. I, 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 <laughs> I have. I don't. You know, people are freaked out because they, they see us leaving. And, you know, when we leave, also, by the way, all our allies leave. You know, this war has gone on for a long time. But I, I think some of it is about how we frame what we're doing. We're still in South Korea more than half a century after the end of the Korean War. In 1953, South Korea was one of the poorest countries on the planet. Now it's one of the richest. We have twice the number of American troops in South Korea that we do in Afghanistan right now. I think there's a reason that South Korea has prospered under an American national security umbrella. South Korea and Afghanistan are very different, agreed. We, we've left Afghanistan before, by the way, in 1989. We closed our embassy. We zeroed out aid. Uh, there was a civil war, the Taliban and Al-Qaeda, and we kind of didn't have much of a handle on any of that because we didn't have a presence there. It may be psychologically satisfying for some to say, hey, we're just we're sick and tired of this, we're going to pull out. It doesn't mean that peace will magically break out because you say you have a peace agreement, nor does it mean that you don't have some level of responsibility not to let the place disintegrate. Now, now, so, now let's talk about some of these generals, okay? Yeah. Mattis 
was not in favor of pulling out of Afghanistan. I mean, one of the scenes I have in the book, which is kind of astonishing, is at one point Trump says, when with John Kelly in the room, his chief of staff, the guy he spends more time with than anybody else, that Afghanistan wasn't worth the death of one single American soldier. Oh, yeah. Uh, so John Kelly's son, Robert Kelly, mm. was killed by an improvised explosive device in southern Afghanistan in 2010. Uh, did Trump either not know that? Kind of a strange thing to say if he did know it. Or is it just, I mean, just basically a sign of his sort of lack of empathy or his just general level of ignorance. So the, the generals... Or both. That's the default always with him. It's, yeah. And he, come on, he probably <laughs> forgot in that moment, at least, that his yeah. chief of staff's son had died in this war when he said it was not worth one life. Yeah. And also, he probably forgot because he has absolutely no empathy for anyone. I'm not a psychologist. One thing that he, that Trump did, does. <laughs> you don't does, have to be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one, you know, Trump asked a lot of good questions in these meetings. And you know, to his credit, he's like, you know, why are we there? Why are we spending this money? Could, we, could other people spend some of this money? You know, why are we still there 16, 17 years later? And so these are all reasonable questions. And he asked them. The generals generally, uh, in particular, H.R. McMaster, who served in Afghanistan for two years and was kind of leading the charge that we shouldn't just sort of sort of announced withdrawal dates and we should get the conditions better before we kind of draw down or make any announcements about drawdown and was also in favor of a very small, relatively small, larger number of troops. Yeah, they, they these meetings were the most contentious meetings of the Trump presidency probably until now. On one side was Steve Bannon leading the America First uh, kind of contingent like let's leave tomorrow. And on the other side, H.R. McMaster, who was leading the so-called globalist uh, or internationalist side. And Mattis and certainly John Kelly were supporting H.R. McMaster, so was Rex Tillerson. Uh, but H.R. McMaster, in the words of somebody I quote in the book, was taking all the face shots because the president was very skeptical, had campaigned to get out. Uh, but in the end, he came around. And on August 21st, 2017, he gave a speech where he basically admitted, look, I, I've changed my mind. It's not something that he normally does. You produced the first interview with Osama bin Laden back in, in 1997, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it was a, really the first time that he declared war against the United States to a Western audience. It, people didn't really pay a lot of attention to him at the time. It was only when Al-Qaeda blew up two American embassies that almost simultaneously a year later that people really began to paying attention to him. What was it like? He reminded me slightly of Al Franken. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, a lot of people say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was, um, you know, very serious person surrounded by a lot of very serious other people. We knew very little about him when we met him in 97. Uh, I didn't even really know exactly what he'd look like. Uh, he was six foot four, uh, very thin. He carried himself um, like a cleric. He wasn't a table thumping revolutionary. He spoke in kind of very low tones and didn't seem to be particularly uh, kind of an emotional person, but but what he was saying was, you know, full of anger against the United States because of its policies in the Middle East. Where was this interview? I mean, it was the middle of the night in a, in a mud hut, 6,000 feet up in an area near the city of Jalalabad in eastern Afghanistan. Now, they had blindfolded mm -hmm. us. They changed vehicle three times. I mean, we didn't really know exactly where we were, but we had a general sense that we were in eastern Afghanistan around the area of Tora Bora, which is where he... Uh, he would disappear uh, in the months after 9-11 um, uh, before he was finally found in Abbottabad. Yeah, and that's where uh, 
we we took care of him. Yeah. Did you ever see the picture of him? Uh, no. Me neither. I I had the I had the opportunity to do that. I could, and I uh, chose not to. I don't well, know somebody why. described it to me as Osama bin Laden with a big hole in his head. I think that's what it was, and I didn't. Want, I just for some reason didn't want to see that. Oh, interesting. I wonder well, if the uh, Obama administration made the right call on that, because you certainly, you know, there was still conspiracy theories that uh, are out there that perhaps he wasn't killed. But certainly, I think it was the right call. Perhaps in the immediate aftermath, you didn't want to inflame, incite attacks against Americans, and that was the thinking at the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it felt like an Obama move, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Trump would do that. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fu, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.